0: On this episode, I interviewed Steve Collins, who's a physiotherapist and strain the conditioning coach. He works at the Joint Physio Clinic as well as Norse Devils Rugby League Club. He also works with squash players in the AIS and is a lecturer in physiotherapy at Australian Catholic University. The main topic of this episode was plyometrics within rehab. So we first started talking about Steve's rehab continuum and what questions he asked himself before going into any rehab we then started focusing in, in on the plyometrics starting with lower limb plyometrics we talked about how he divine, defines a plyometric what the three components of a plyometric are and then we moved into different kinds whether that be slower plyometrics versus more intense plyometrics we talked about different phases that he categorizes plyometrics in and ways he progresses his patients and athletes and then finally we talked about upper limb plyometrics as this isn't always talked about I think but it was a really interesting part of the of the podcast episode. So, overall great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please have a listen and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to No Week Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Steve Collins, who is a physiotherapist as well as strength and conditioning coach. He works at the Joint Physiotherapy. He works for the Norse Devils Rugby League Club, Squash with the AIS, and is also a lecturer in physiotherapy at Australian Catholic University. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on. Um, if you just want to maybe go in a little bit more about yourself, kind of where you, um, how you got into these fields, how you got interested in this, and then if you want to expand a little bit more on any of your, t- um, your positions at the moment, that'd be great.
1: Yeah, hundred percent, mate. No, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's an honor, and I really love coming in and chatting about this. So you'll uh, see as I go. I can kind of chat all day, but basically, I um I got into it all a, a bit of a roundabout way. So getting into this kind of profession, I guess, was my was my second profession. It wasn't um something I came straight into out of school. So I came into it a a little bit older. Um, went in first became a personal trainer when I was working out in the uh, mines as a as an electrician actually and then I um yeah just started getting into training people out there then I um yeah did some uh, online work out there um found myself interested just because of the people who were out the mines a lot of uh, you know semi-professional athletes and that were out there and so I got myself into training a lot of those people got interested more in strength and conditioning came back, got into a exercise science, um, degree, uh, got through transferred over to physiotherapy during that time. I did my ASCA level one. And in my last year of physio, I did my ASCA level two, um, or second last year of physio did my level two, which, um, if anyone else has done that, it's quite a, quite an undertaking. So it kind of was a big, uh, me having to decide what I'd what i'd uh put priorities to there was some subjects in uni where I just went no, nope, I gotta you know finish my research paper and whatnot so it was uh it was interesting there and then um yeah, from there, so it was good. I got to working in a lot with kind of combat sport um, athletes mostly in the field sports went in towards rugby league um, a lot with my asCA level two stuff, so I was working um, with. Uh, feeder club I guess for the Redcliffe Dolphins it was at the time um, so we were feeding into their Q Cup team I did that for yeah four, four, four years or something and then um, then from that yeah finished my physio degree and kind of got my first kind of dual role it was actually really good it was I was employed uh, well at the joint where I am now my first employment contract there was a 50% kind of strength and conditioning 50% physio, which was good. So I spent like 15 hours a week down at the North Devils Club, actually doing their, I was head of physio and also running the rehab kind of program there. So that was awesome. And then when people weren't in that injured category, because we had a couple of long-term ones, but when they weren't, I was also then out doing the the assistant S&C out on the field. So it was really, it was an awesome kind of experience that those first few years.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that sounds great. Um, good, good summary there and everything. And I guess, I guess today we can obviously I like bring people on that have a little bit of experience in both or worked across the continuum with um, strength and conditioning as well as rehabilitation and physiotherapy. And so uh, we'll we'll kind of start with kind of I guess either continuum or how you approach rehab and then we'll expand on our I guess main more main topic of of plyo so yeah I guess you have you have your two blogs on on physio network that will kind of be going off today so if you haven't read those I'd highly recommend it Um, but let's just let's just go to the four questions you usually ask yourself and and your thought process of of designing the of your rehab continuum and and then we can kind of go from there
1: yeah well the rehab continuum kind of came out of necessity actually like when I was in that that first role where I was kind of that jewel down at, down at North there, um, where I was both S and C and kind of overseeing a bit of a rehab department. Well, then I was having to, um, have a lot of interns who were in their either second or third years of physio or, um, exercise science degrees. And I was kind of having to try to outlay something that was just easily followed for anyone coming across. So that way, at the time, all the squads were kind of working in together. So my job was kind of overseeing, but then there was like the main squad, but then all everywhere down to, I think it was like the under 20s or under 18s it was. So, you know, the 100 odd players, there's no way I could be over it all at once. So then, so people weren't questioning me all the time. I came up with this thing basically of a continuum that basically just outlines in rehab and performance biomechanical and, and bioengine, bioenergetic demands that go, you know, from the, from the least basically to the, the highest, most sports specific. And then along that question or along that way, you're just asking yourself some really basic questions, you know, where is this person right now in front of me, both like tissue capacity wise, but also like psychosocial, what are they ready to kind of do? And then like, you know, what is the next part of that continuum? Where's the next like goal that they can get into? Okay, and then basically it's what, okay what it is can I do like right now? What can I program for that person right now to get them from basically that step to the next step? And then the last one is like, where is their final kind of destination? Where do they actually have to get to to get off? So that way we can um, integrate them back into the the main crew. So whatever, you know, phase the main crew were at, if it was in preseason, they might have been into, you know, a big strength hypertrophy block or they might have been into a big running block. So it, it kind of just changed that late stage focus of the, you know, where the person had to kind of get to, to be able to then integrate back into the, the main squad. So, yeah, it was kind of born out of necessity. And then it's just been, I guess, tinkered with and played with over time. As I've got into the the tutoring and lecturing work at uni, then it was become a really good way to kind of, I guess, layout to students as well, like as a physio, these are things you're wanting to take, like you want to tick off that you've been able to take someone through the whole way from their injury. Okay, what's the very next logical phase that this person should be able to achieve to then go into their next task that they have to? So, yeah, it was that was kind of the, the design and then it's kind of just, um, I guess, evolved from there. And it just is a really easy, um, I guess, one of those like, heuristic kind of set points where you just you're not having to it shortens decision making right there and then in the time mm-hmm. so that that's been the big thing for me and it, it it's also come from a point of um you know we all learned periodization we all learned periodization theory and everything um for physiotherapy and for rehab i'm not a massive fan of traditional periodization because i think that if you're taking that kind of top-down approach in something, you you can either nail it and do really well and, and pre-plan your guesses of where someone should be when really well, or you can really miss the boat by either, you know, you've said this person should be progressing here and they're not ready at all, or you have holding someone back. You know, someone could have been a two-, three-week injury and you've got them doing like a four-week kind of prep bro- uh, prep block to then move into the next phase and you've just wasted, you know, two weeks. So it's kind of just a way to short circuit that rather than kind of programming ages out in advance, you program a couple of sessions out. Where's this person now? Okay. test objectives. What do they have to achieve? What are the next objectives that they have to achieve to get out of this program into the next like block of programming, which is going to focus on the next kind of most difficult tasks that they have to do
0: yeah and so and so about kind of top down versus bottom up you mean more of a criteria based versus your time timeline based, and and trying to focus on that rather than just say okay you your injury is x amount of weeks
1: yeah yeah 100 percent. so um yeah definitely criterion based and then also as i said like um yeah that traditional periodization is more of a, a time based and not even in rehab but in performance it's more like a you know, you're, you're how many weeks back from where you need to be. Okay, well, then you're going to do a four-week block of this, a three-week block of this, a t- you know, whereas realistically, we all know that with our stress recovery adaptation cycle, like it's each person is variable, like especially in a in a team sport or something like that, not everyone reaches the same point at the same time. So I, I prefer to program more bottom-up where going, I'm like brutally, brutally, Um, assessing all the time so like really almost every I personally like almost every session or every couple of sessions I'm doing some assessments that's either built into their program that then lets me know hey have you achieved x criteria we're going to be able to move you on to the next kind of program And, and each program for me is a stimulus that I apply so and basically I then just see how many stimuluses it takes for you to Reach this next kind of level, and then that's a really good thing for an athlete as well. Because if you, if say you know it's taken them five exposures to a certain stimulus to move on to the next, um, next part of the continuum, well, then they have a little setback or something, you have that there to go, hey, we'll go back to that last stage, okay? We know it only took you five exposures last time, it's very likely only going to take you five exposures to go back from this last part of the continuum up to this next part so don't worry you know you got five exposures that might be two weeks or something like that you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah for sure cool you yeah, know so, that'll make sense
1: yeah that's how i lied out and then like into plyometrics i guess is the the bit that you really wanted to dig into wasn't it
0: yeah so i mean i guess it, it depends you, if you do you think you want to go more into into your over the phases etc and talk about that or do you think it'd be that which you kind of went over it puts the base for how you then program plyometrics
1: I think that kind of puts in place a nice little base and then we can kind of cover over anything else that we, that we, I guess, require. So just with the baseline knowledge and back ahead that I'm not, I'm not um, like top down, I'm not pre-planning these phases or stages. I'm just basically assessing at the start of a phase, whether it's like weekly, even session by session, if it's really early in the days. Okay. Um, And then I'm putting in place a, a program a plan a stimulus that they then repeat until they are out of that kind of phase so that's kind of the the baseline that's going there and along that for me to know where they are I'm asking myself those four questions you know where are you now what do you need to get to at the end there how can I get you from this phase now into the next phase and what is that next phase so that's kind of the 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 global of how we do it so yeah that's uh that's how we go
0: perfect Alrighty. well i guess uh if we just well i just want to we'll start with uh general plyometric questions talk about lower limb then maybe go to your upper limb since you even have that blog as well but i think first question off is um, how would you describe plyometric uh or or what is it exactly and then obviously it's a continuum so um i guess people get really caught up in terminology a lot i think so i guess if you want to describe in your view what it is and then dispel any myths or whatever you want with that
1: Yep, no, 100%. So yeah, all of our plyometrics, I guess, well, you know, any any movement that we're going through, like a concentric, eccentric phase, it has that concentric, that amortization, which is that kind of, well, the eccentric first, then that amortization, that little kind of change in between from that um, eccentric to the concentric. And then the concentric, we kind of get to use whatever force that has come both from kind of the stored elastic energy as we're going down in our eccentric and also a little bit of neurological um, system things as well happening in that amortization phase to give us a little bit more um, I guess bang for our buck in our concentric when our muscles kind of activate again to, to go back up in that phase there so um, really I guess the best example for that is like you know the we all did the old um, standing broad jump test where you can do the counter movement versus kind of the completely stationary broad, um, not broad jump or uh, vertical jump either, or. So we know that we're going to get, you know, greater distance when we do the one that we actually are allowed to drop into from an eccentric amortization up into a big concentric phase, um, into that jump versus if we kind of were just starting from a, from a dead stop and then having to do a concentric contraction on top of that. So, I guess the plyometric that people traditionally think of with programming does involve, I guess, that whole phase going from eccentric through amortization up into the concentric. And that, that for me is the end kind of, well, that's that kind of mid phase in, in as far as a, the biomechanics of, of a, um, of a plyometric so that's kind of not the highest level plyometrics that you need to achieve which would be doing that multiple times over and over okay that really is then testing kind of your maximal demand kind of part of it but we can also think like if that's our baseline of what we're thinking of with a plyometric the down quick middle and then back up phase so if that's our kind of baseline we also need to be able to regress that back to as we were talking about, you know, those ones beforehand, which is just going from a stop point to moving and jumping, or even less than that. Sometimes we just need to see that the person's actually able to um, kind of, uh, I guess, accept force. So, so my continuum basically looks like that. It goes, can they accept force? You know, yes, no. That might be the the thing that we have to train first. So that's, you know, in Lowell, limb, we're thinking things like it, um, pull shorts, our snap downs, our altitude landings, anything where we're kind of just doing that deceleration, you know, that that kind of being able to um, take force through that muscular tendinous unit, have it ready, have it set to kind of um, absorb that force but not have to do any of anything with the force it absorbs, okay? So the impulse um, time in which you kind of got to, dissipate the force of your body weight coming down is that little bit longer you're not having to do anything with it it's a lot less mechanically demanding on I guess your whole musculo-tendinous unit so that for me is kind of the the starting phase um in saying that people kind of get this a little bit um I guess wrong and they think that I think everyone has to start there and this is why I do that assessment kind of thing because if i assess you and that you don't need to start with um like you're nailing um force absorption there's no need for you to start on doing you know two weeks of snap downs or something before we can actually get you into hopping jumping all that type of stuff like that would be wasted time you might do a little bit of work there if your technique or something needs a a little bit of work if you're not doing the correct force absorption kind of strategies that i'm after if i wanted more knee dominant versus hip dominant there's something kind of there to um to look at but that doesn't mean that we have to spend all of our time there if you know you can adequately absorb force well then we're not going to do a force absorption block um programming we're going to move you off to so the next one is like force creation so that's basically okay yep i can see i've just broken my plyometric down into you know the deceleration phase and then the acceleration phase which is the force creation being kind of two separate um, entities so i can see that if you can do the force you know acceptance and you can do the kind of force creation which is a, a good example is a standing broad jump just from kind of starting just a single standing broad jump okay that has like one force creation phase and it has kind of one um, i guess force acceptance phase in it that's a really good um, example of that first little progression there so that's, I guess, the the next layer in that continuum. Again, if they can do that, then they move on to the next one, which is you're going through kind of your stretch shortening cycle, which is just putting kind of two, um, two or more um, kind of plyometric efforts together. So it could be like a broad jump to like a double broad jump instead. So it could be like instead of a single hop, doing two hops, three hops, whatever it is could be doing like POGOs, this is where we're looking at getting like our musculotenderness kind of unit adaptations of like stiffness, um, those type of neurological, like having our, our muscles kind of pre-primed and ready to, to act like that, um, I guess, shock absorber and spring or that musculotendinous unit to act like that shock absorber and spring to be able to actually take that force and quickly explode it off again. And then the last kind of two bits on the phase, is then going like your well your maximal demand sorry is that last bit on the phase there so that is really going okay what is it that this person has to be able to get to what is the the highest level um capacity plyometric capacity type movements that this person has to be able to get into this is where uh, i guess it parallels really nicely with say the controlled to chaos continuum where um right down at the very start with your force absorptions, your force creations, that stuff is all really kind of controlled mostly. Okay. So, you know, you're probably not doing a lot of, um, well, in the earlier phase of it, you're probably not doing a lot of like perturbations, anything like that. It's probably not a lot of cognitive aspect to it. They're just working on getting a nice solid base and foundation of how to absorb the force, how to create the force. Okay. And then as you're getting more into the stretch shortening cycle um and the maximal demand stuff that's kind of getting a little bit more into the chaos the stretch shortening cycle you know they're still pretty controlled you might put a little bit of a cognitive or change of direction element into it like a crossover hop or something like that where you're getting to kind of make sure that what they what the movement patterns that you've developed in the force absorption and the force creation phase can kind of deal with um can deal with kind of a little bit of a perturbation to environment like a cognitive task or being able to do kind of a bit of change of direction in there and make sure that those, um, I guess, techniques that you to do before have stood up. But in that maximal demand one, that is really, you need to have done that needs analysis of sport, know kind of what chaotic environments are going to be in the sport and you're kind of putting those – the um, I guess, stretch shortening phase style exercises into then more things that they're going to do in their sport. So in your ACL rehabs, a classic example is, you know, you're doing your, your jumping, catching with like a perturbation, or you might do multiple jump catches with like a bit of um, a cognitive task in there where they're having to compete with someone else, in a plyometric task or something like that.
0: Yeah, no. So to start them off, getting a their base form. So whether that, you know, with your absorption and creation, getting that base, and then obviously progressing on further stretch shortening and then into their, um, more sports specific or whatever they need to, to get to the end of. Um, I think maybe one thing too, we can, we can touch on is, uh, you mentioned in your blog, you're kind of quicker, more explosive versus controlled and the different outcomes of those. And, and, and what, um, I guess if identifying the goals of each of them and then kind of how, how you explained, you know, which one attacks which goal more?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, a hundred percent. So, um I guess like when we gotta think about this stuff, it's you're thinking like you're you've really biomechanics, gotta have your biomechanics kind of principles uh there happening in the background. So it's all all kind of about impulse and what I guess, um the impulse that's that's occurring, what you're having to um I guess from deconstructing your needs analysis of your sport or whatnot to go, okay. In this sport, um, you know, these people require, um, you know, a really stiff tendon, really quick high impulse things. So, say you're um, training up a, a hurdler or something like that who's having to, or a sprinter who, you know, their ground contact times are really, really short. Well, then you're wanting to, I guess, your training, your force absorption phase will probably be something that thinking that high impulse, which is, you know, how quickly you're. Um, arresting momentum. Okay, so you're going to probably be getting someone to do practicing stiff landings, and then your force, of, uh, your force creation phase will be very kind of quick, stiff force creation. Your um, your stretch shortening cycle phase will be things like very stiff, quick bounds, hops, those type of things, where looking at very short ground contact times because you're trying to, I guess, develop that um, that stiffness, that springiness in that tendon. Um, and then into the maximal demand phase, I guess, is really then just putting that into their sport-specific tasks, whereas I guess you've got other things, say, like, you know, our beach volleyball players, these other types of sports, where they have that little bit more time to actually create that force. So they're needing to rely a little bit less on the, I guess, the tendon part of the musculotendinous unit um, in, in kind of absorbing that impulse and quickly kind of acting like that, that spring and they're getting to, Um, I guess, create their force over a longer period of time. They can absorb it over a longer period of time. They have that greater kind of impulse. And so that will then, I guess, change the biomechanics of the exercise that you're going to do. So say your force absorptions for someone who might be getting back from, say, um, as I said, they might be a beach flags competitor. They might be like a beach volleyball. They might be, um, you know, a couple other those type of sports where you actually have a bit of time to, I guess, get down and get back up um, and you can have that longer kind of ground reaction um, time. Well, then your force absorption tasks are probably going to be ones where you um, absorb over a a longer kind of moment arm, I guess. You get a little bit more um, deformation of that um, uh, deforming of that uh, musculotendinous unit. So, you know, you're not having to land so stiff or, your um, force creation tasks you know you're getting to create that force over a longer period of time so if you looked at a graph the peak impulse wouldn't be as high but probably the peak force would be quite quite high and they're the type of tasks that then you're going to I guess you just have to be specific I guess it's that whole specificity or that said principle where you're just having to go okay what what does the plyometric um, that my person has to get back to look like okay I need to make sure that and you're probably not going to do everything there because we want well-rounded athletes. So, I mean, you know, they still do need, you know, someone who has a lot of time to create force. You still want to get them a little bit of uh, of training in that kind of stiffness, that higher impulse thing because it, it's just going to be good for them to develop just a nice general base to be able to draw upon at some stage. But you'll probably put more of their training and more of their rehab into towards, you know, those slower force absorptions, those slower force creations, those more bigger, stronger, powerful kind of moves like that, whereas someone who has to be springy, 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 you're probably going to do more of their rehab that's in towards that kind of less compliant, more stiff kind of um, training strategies.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously, yeah, making it specific, as you said, to the sport and, and their end goals while still training both of them a little bit, but obviously, you know, as you said, like track's going to be quicker. Volleyball's beach volleyball's is going to take a little bit longer for us. So yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Uh, you, also in the blog you kind of have talked about the volume, total volume of it. Um, and well, it's, I know everything's, you know, it's going to be what if and all these extra stuff within it, but you know, in general, how do you kind of decide how much volume and, and how many um, exercises and contacts you give each athlete, uh,
1: yeah. yeah no 100% and this is really important i guess for the rehab we uh we basically do this assignment i think in um in the subject that i that i teach in and um and get this a lot and it's a little bit um i guess artificial the way that it's that it's put in there where like they'll be programming you know i think that it says like beginners somewhere 50 to 80 and then like you know 80 to 100 or 80 to a 100, 120 plus are, like your your contacts per session that you're thinking in there but um you know it's not very often that well maybe now in lockdown you are giving probably a lot of more very plyometric only or plyometric specific kind of programs but most of the time in our rehab if you're thinking about like the the neuromuscular demands of, of kind of a plyometric um i guess most time for all let's put in like physio kind of hat on here in rehab you're probably not going to the prescribing like too much plyometric only to someone coming back from that musculoskeletal kind of, um, injury, because like, you know, that you're going to hit capacity pretty kind of quickly. Like those, all those numbers are like being on like healthy, um, college, I think it was like NSCA kind of, um, college athlete type stuff is what that's been mostly kind of studied in. So, I usually say mixed programming is a better way to do plyometrics, where you kind of, you know, you do, you put it in with your kind of strength and power work, where you're probably doing somewhere from two to, two to five sets of kind of two to five reps um, at, you know, maximal kind of ten out of ten intensity, or you know, if someone's only just getting into. Um, something say post uh, Achilles tendinopathy or something like that where you're just making sure that they're um you know that lower limb muscular tendinous unit can take force you might be on the lower side of that you might be doing like two sets of say five force or two sets of say three force absorptions and a couple kind of for, like quicker force creations two sets of three kind of force creations and kind of seeing what the like next day responses or that later on response to make sure that yeah you haven't you know pushed it too far. So most time out of the gate, I wouldn't be prescribing um, you know eighty grand contacts um, for a rehab person coming up through. Maybe late, late, late stage if that's where their um, cohort was at. If their cohort really, I'm um, saying basketball player or something, and they were you know in a phase where their specific training, maybe not their SSC training, but their specific training was um, like their, their actual sport training was in a really high kind of um, high specificity um, kind of, a, of competition type of phase, well, then you might be having to make sure that you've at least seen that they can tolerate, you know, around that 80, 90, 100, 120 kind of contacts in a session and gone and tolerated it well and gone, okay, yep, we're, good to be able to put this person back into full training kind of thing because that's another thing I'm, I'm big with with plyometrics in rehab is I guess you're wanting to at most times make sure that and I guess with anything that we do you I don't I'm not happy to I guess hand someone over back into full kind of training or whatever unless I've I've assessed that they're going to be able to tolerate whatever that um, that I'm putting them back into is kind of thing. So if I know that, say, you know, they're going to be doing lots and lots of jumping, well, then my programming will go from those small um, amounts at the start the whole way up to I might be having to the last one or two sessions, put them through 80, 100 kind of ground contact. go, yep, that, next day they were great, sweet, you can jump back into um, full regular training or we might be doing kind of 50% training and then I make up that extra volume with controlled kind of plyometric work to to make it suit until we go, okay, they've been able to do the amount of ground contacts, which is the amount of time that the feet is hitting the ground, I guess, that is required for their actual kind of task or sport.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think, well, a question after that too, so obviously, or. Er- a you progress them along. You know they get more and more difficult exercises as you do with every ex- or every type of exercise. Same with plyometrics, they get to the more difficult ones, more difficult ones. Do you ever go? Do you? How often or when would you ever you know go back? Would you ever pr- program the the lower level ones at at higher um, volumes just to try and keep some sort of thing? Or how how do you ever implement that? Or when would you do that?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I like it again. I'm big on this where. Because everything has, I guess, as we're going up the scale of biomechanical intensity with something, um, we've got to think, like, everything in life is just a stressor. So I'm massive on, like, um, Dr. Robert Sapolsky's that why zebras don't get ulcers, if you've ever, ever heard of him. Like, he's come out recently in, like, 2019 with an awesome review on, like, the human stress or well, just the mammalian stress response. And basically, the way I think of everything in life is, Stressor and stress tolerance. Okay, and so we're building someone up through these kind of more intense biomechanical things. And we're going, okay, I can't be putting you into 120 kind of ground contacts of like maximal demand or or stretch shortening cycle plyometrics. Those things are going to be too high, kind of shock loading into the system. But you know, we might be able to do a bit of this here. But I know that the stress tolerance that you need to be able to do your sport is X. Well, then I'm going to make up the rest of that with focusing on that lower level, you know, making sure that those, um, I guess, things that we built right back at the start, the the landing patterns, those type of things that we built are, are kind of on point. So I'll go, you know, I might do, you know, 10 or 15% of the volume up at that kind of maximal stuff, but then, you know, make up whatever else, whatever, volume that i perceive that they kind of need to be able to keep their capacity to where it needs with those lower level tasks so this is the i guess the big thing um with the continuum as well and this question um comes up quite a bit is once you kind of go up a stage that doesn't mean that you've kind of ticked off and you just like forget about any stage beforehand you're always kind of wanting to there'll always be something in that that you're wanting to either maintain to maintain volume because it's at a lower intensity or to maintain because, you know, we'd let you go up because you've passed off certain kind of um, I guess criteria, but there's still things that we can perfect back there. Like, again, I, I, I will let people kind of um, move on to the next kind of phase before they've perfected everything. As long as they're safe, they can do it adequately and we can build, some load tolerance in that next phase but I'll be still working on then perfecting the things that they didn't kind of perfect in that phase beforehand so say you know someone could be up doing stretch shortening cycle maximal demand plyometrics but then we're still finishing off by you know the end under fatigue having a look at what their force absorption kind of strategies are like because I guess that's when our like our ACLs all that usually are well actually the the research is saying now that it's more um in a lot of field sports or anything it's it's when they're fresher than when they're fatigued. That's uh, that's actually interesting. But still my head goes in that when they're fatigued is likely when we're going to be seeing some sort of form breakdown compared to what we want. So, you know, at the end of a session or something, let's just do a few little top-up, you know, force absorptions. Yep, you know, you're still on point. Or no, you've got to go away, work on this, 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 and we'll do do a bit more coaching on that. But so, yes, yeah, so you even though you graduate from like one – part of the phase that is always still kind of there in the background for us to work on
0: Yeah, yeah that makes sense <clears throat> just as any other exercise similar thing obviously you know just because they get the end stage a bubble back squat doesn't mean they never, don't ever do you know anything else that's a little bit low, lower level so yeah it definitely makes sense um i think maybe next so i think it's lower limit obviously is talked about quite a bit uh with you know plyometrics training etc but i think and and your kind of the the different phases that you've outlined here um they uh you you transform over to the upper limb which i think is 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 an interesting topic so maybe you want to talk about kind of how you started doing that and and in ways that or i guess yes sorry walk us through the thought process and what you've designed for that
1: yeah definitely so again i just go through the the same kind of idea of the increasing biomechanical demands from your force absorption, your force creation, your stretch shortening cycle, and then your maximal demand. But I guess with the upper limb, you know, in our lower limb, we have like that athletic position that everyone's wanting to find. That's where you want to get strong. That's that in the upper limb, it's so um, variable. It's, it's so task specific, you know, plyometrics for the upper limb for a baseball pitcher is, you know, throwing, it's that, you Know that quick or the and and the really fun thing to think about with the upper limb, I think, is that you know, because of the, the glenohumeral joint, the, the way that it is, um, I guess you're having in your cocking phase and you know, any throwing or serving any of that stuff, you're having a you know, a stretch shortening cycle kind of anteriorly, but then it's a different, um, complete different strategy to then at the end phase on your kind of, I guess, recovery of after you've thrown the ball and you're trying to decelerate your arm, that's a complete different then um, stretch shortening cycles, p- complete different plyometric occurring kind of at the posterior cuff. And so say you're returning, um, you know, a thrower, you're returning a tennis player, you're returning someone like a, a, even a, a striker, so like a, a, a fighter to um sport you're having to think okay what type of plyometrics are my i guess anterior chain um having to go through here what type of plyometric forces are my kind of posterior um chain and posterior shoulder girdle having to go through here so rather than it being kind of in this uh, lower limb more this one likely most of the time this one kind of position um unless you are returning someone who has injured themselves in like kicking or something then that's a little bit more similar to what we're talking about now, but because it was the the closed chain stuff versus the open chain, it's just that the speeds at which it happens are so different. The um, And and then the speeds at one side of the body versus the other side are so different. So um, some research that I found that was pretty interesting is basically, you know, it gets up to things about 9,000 degrees per second with like a, a, a baseball pitch throw there. So I mean, there's some really, really massive impulses that our posterior cuff is having to, I guess, absorb and make sure that you're basically your, basically, your glenohumeral joint just doesn't continually travel into rotation, uh, internal rotation. So you're having to make sure that through your rehab, um, you've built up the re- requisite strength, you've built up the requisite um, power, you've built up the requisite speed strength, you've built up the requisite strength speed um, to act. Or, strength speed and speed strength to actually get someone to the point that they're going to be able to start to do some force absorption work so you want to have kind of built I guess their just normal musculoskeletal resistance training capacity in the background through kind of your that force velocity continuum to be able to go okay I know that now we're ready to be able to handle those high force absorption loads so that's even before you're getting into kind of your the force absorption kind of part of the, of the plyometric continuum, you're wanting to make sure that you've kind of surfed that force velocity curve in your resistance training to go, yep, you know, my upper limb is in and ready to actually start to absorb these, these massive forces that, um, that it's going to have, or this massive impulse that it's going to have to, to stop in something like a, a baseball pitch or a tennis serve. So it's um yeah, it's really interesting. So, and as I was saying with, so I guess, because it's an open chain movement um, at, the, at the glenohumeral joint there. When we're doing something like our, our tennis serves, our throws, you know, it's a very slow, longer impulse, um, I guess, stretch shortening cycle. Well, not very slow, but a slow compared to what happened at the end of a throwing phase. Um, in our cocking phase, through that anterior chain is having to do that kind of force absorption characteristics. So then we're going, okay, well, I'm going to have to kind of do things for um, my force absorption plyometric continuum through the anterior chain that might be things like, you know, slow, like not force absorption in a stiff position. It might be absorbing that force kind of as they're moving through kind of glenohumeral joint um, extension. So from glenohumeral joint flexion, into glenohumeral joint extension or from or the opposite as well if it's going into like a a, or from glenohumeral joint um kind of horizontal adduction to horizontal abduction but something that's kind of moving through that at and having to absorb force at a kind of a, a bit of a slower rate um and then building in its plyometric so its force creation capacity in that same zone so you know, it could be something like, you know, you're doing your just kind of your altitude landings like what you were in your lower limb. But you might do that from, say, having your hands out stretched on a, you know, um, on a dumbbell or on a um, kind of a, a few weights plates either side of you. And then kind of just coming off those plates onto the ground out at kind of relative glenohumeral joint um Kind of slight external rotation, horizontal abduction, something like that, where you're having to absorb force out there and then kind of slowly lower your chest down to the ground to get it used to being able to create that kind of anterior force absorption um, kind of force. From there, you could move then into something like your, um, I guess, a, a clap or a, a plyometric push up from that same position for your force creation kind of phase. From there, you could move then into um, doing like just multiple um, clap push-ups, something like that, to then create that kind of um, ability of that stretch shortening cycle to kind of go and then, um, and I guess, reproduce that force again, create um, through that amortization phase. And then kind of your maximal demand stuff would then more so be looking like things up in that kind of throwing, striking, um, punching kind of um, kind of exercises, some banded versions of. So so with the squash guys, when I was returning them, their maximal demand plyometrics would be things like, you know, we'd have their rackets, we'd have their arms out in those kind of vulnerable but like um, sports-specific positions, and they'd be doing some very quick kind of um, repeated um, movements into those bands where they're having to create and absorb force through different ranges in those um kind Of sports specific positions, um, so that's kind of for the anterior kind of side of it, but then we also have to remember that we have our kind of posterior cuff as well, or our posterior kind of shoulder girdle, which is usually having to then do like a deceleration, um, I guess, part of it, and that it, and then get your arm back and ready to go again in a second. So if you're punching, it has to kind of you know decelerate the arm and get it back ready to like fire the next punch off so then you're looking at at things like starting your your, um force absorption would be like catching you know any type of catching task catching a ball um actually a, a quick little side tangent one cool one that i use a lot um with like labral um or long head of biceps kind of return things that, that are kind of implemented a lot in football um, before they got back into um, wrestling um, was um, just like catching uh, a med ball out in front and just absorbing that force and then absorbing it through a kind of greater range of motion and then catching it and kind of throwing it again. So you just got to think about like, okay, what do I need this musculotendinous unit to be able to show me that it can do before I put it, back into the tasks that either it got injured in or that that person is having to having to actually um I guess compete in so you know with a footy player they were having to kind of take you know a lot of anterior kind of shock loading when they're tackling um when they're kind of um I guess wrestling those type of things so I was then okay you know we've had a labrum issue long head of biceps kind of detachment where I know that that tendon, muscular tennis unit actually has to be able to deal with taking a big shock loading, has to then be able to deal with taking that shock load and repeat, putting it back into the person. So those are the type of um, exercises that I did there. But then, so, but sorry, I kind of tangented it off from the uh, posterior stuff. So do you want me to get back under that?
0: Yeah, sure. No, I think that, that was a good tangent. But yeah, if you, you can continue on there.
1: But yeah, so that as I was saying before, like, you know, with our um, tennis players, those type of throwing kind of motions are taken through the anterior kind of part of it. But the posterior part, as I said, something like, um, like catching like ball catches. So you're bent over, dropping a ball, catching again. It's either again, we got to think that this part of the shoulder is having to, this is the bit that's decelerating something that's trying to rotate it like, you know, seven to 9,000 degrees per second. So, or radians per second, degrees per second. So, um, you want wanting to have starting off like light load and kind of decelerating re- relatively slowly because obviously you're not just going to put it straight into that but by the end of your force cre- uh, force absorption phase um you're wanting to actually probably be having a relatively heavy load and having them kind of drop it and then be able to resist that load almost straight away with not like at a high impulse with not kind of a very slow um force absorption phase. So I guess this is a a big um another big learning that within every phase, I guess every phase has kind of the continuum in it as well. So from you know force absorption, you have very kind of low impulse force absorption to high impulse force absorption. That's what I was kind of just speaking about there with that posterior kind of shoulder girdle. It's needing to I guess start off you know if it's been injured you're not going to want to be getting it to experience you know straight away trying to um stop the impulse of something traveling you know that nine thousand degrees per second um even if it's really light it's still going to be quite a high impulse so you're going to be wanting to start off light and slow force absorption to then kind of heavy and quick okay and then even maybe like you know actually things like dropping a ball or something can, and catching and or dropping a heavy ball. Um, and kind of in that really throwing specific position and kind of catching it and stopping it. So from there, then your, your force creation um, stuff for that posterior cuff, that's really getting it good at being able to, I guess, retract back to go for a second effort. So, um, for that, really love things like your explosive movements, your pendlay rows, um, you know, any type of movement where you're kind of explosively taking something up towards your body, okay, for one one kind of effort. And then um, from there we go into, and again, so those I prefer to start off with like almost speed strength and, and strength speed type of exercises, so more traditional kind of resistance training exercises, get the body Building kind of a, a good capacity there, and then go into our lighter, quicker, um, more sports-specific style kind of exercises to at, at kind of bringing the the arm back, whether it's resisted kind of really quick band work or something like that, where it's having to kind of um, yeah bring bring the arm back to a cocked position. After that, then we have like our stretch-shortening cycle phase, and that is where we're doing a lot more of our specific kind of stuff. You know, we are doing – you can do a little bit non-specific preparatory stuff, which is your, um, I guess, using your balls, your throw-catch-repeated, um, like medicine balls or your, you know, your speed-strength work on, on some of your weights, um, like more powerlifting variants, like your your Pendlay rows or Olympic lift variants, like repeated high pulls, those type of things where you kind of, you know – impulses are relatively high, but it's that specific kind of bringing it, um, getting the posterior kind of shoulder girdle to um, kind of absorb, create, absorb, create, absorb, create. But then you do want to go into those more highly specific, um, high demand, probably more like banded striking and um, that type of stuff, all those type of drills, banded throwing or throwing with like different um, weighted kind of balls. So maybe it's not their specific um, ball yet or throwing at different distances so that's one like i think there's a, a few really good uh, protocols for specifically from baseball that i've kind of um that i've modified for different kind of patients which is just you know you're throwing at different distances and kind of that therefore um and and different amount of throws is each throw is your contact and that kind of changes i guess your biomechanical demands on that kind of posterior cuff Um, having to decelerate it, and then the whole way through to your maximal demand phase, which is definitely then integrating back into specific training. So, you know, you're integrating them back into um, striking training. You're integrating them back into kind of, you know, tennis um, practice but may or like banded kind of practice with their racket or something like that where they're having to kind of build that capacity. Same thing with the lower limb where I might be letting them do some of their actual work um some of their actual work with their specific coach but i might just be doing a little bit of top up extra kind of volume because they might not be able to like you know tolerate the whole stressor of a proper training session yet so i might do you know half that and then bring them back and do half more specific or um you know controlled striking or controlled um racket work or controlled something like that you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah so with the with upper limb obviously you you go through similar phases but you have to focus on anterior and posterior which is a slight difference from the from the lower limb and then your more end stage stuff is probably playing the sport or doing the actual movement in a controlled um volume or progressed volume i guess um comparably to lower limb yeah uh, I guess no. I think that was all really good information. If you if you want to just maybe give like a quick minute, um, any key takeaways or key things you want to stress um, before we sign off here. But I think yeah, that all really made some really good sense.
1: I think I think the key thing to stress basically is yes, don't don't kind of pre-plan where you're at. You can sell your athletes or your patient kind of really short by that. So just be really good at assessing, assess, assess, assess. Know kind of what your movement that you're getting someone back to looks like okay and then kind of develop a good protocol go out find there's some really good protocols out there talk to your, um you know your orthopedic surgeons talk to um you know your people who are high up in your in your sports physio um talk to your strength and conditioning coaches come up with some really good protocols that kind of you go okay if if we're ticking this we can move on to that next little phase okay and then Um, I guess always assess and just pro, I prefer then to program on the, not almost on the run, but like only in short little blocks. So that way you're not doing someone the disservice of going, no, we have to be doing only this work now. Okay. For a certain period of time, and then we'll move on to this work. You adapt, you move with them. Um, That's kind of my, my biggest takeaway there. And then it's just knowing, I guess, moving things through that, biomechanical where where are they where where do they need to go next how can i get them there and then where do they finally need to kind of end up and you just use that kind of adaptive process of assessing programming adapting reassessing and going again to, to get them
0: there yeah. Perfect. No, thank you very much for that. Uh, if you just want to share, cause I know you have an Instagram and if you have any other platforms and that you share information on, um, share those and I can put those in the show notes for you.
1: Cool. No dramas. Yeah. So definitely find me at, I think I'm Steve coach physio on, on Instagram there. And that's where I'll, um, share a lot of stuff and a lot of, uh, both evidence-based stuff and also just memes on all the, the bad things or the average things that I think I see out there in rehab. So, um,
0: yes, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again. That's all right.
1: No, it's been great. Thank you very much, mate.
0: Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoyed the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood. on my website, www.Patrick-Wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.